you know, if I could vacation any place in the world, the same place every time, um, there are two places I've been that I would go every year if I could afford it. I can't, but I would. One is Hawaii. If I could, I would go every year to Hawaii um, because the presence of God is there, and, you know, and everything else that is there. I mean, it's, it's awesome. And the second would be the mountains of Colorado. I mean, if I, if I could go anywhere every year, I would go to the mountains of Colorado. So when you can't go to Hawaii and you can't go to the mountains of Colorado, you try to find the thing that combines best Hawaii and Colorado, and that's a little place called Branson. Um, just stay with me. It's my story. Don't laugh. Um, so that, that's where we were hanging out, and it was awesome. But there, there were not a lot of things in Branson that reminded me of Hawaii. There were not a lot of things in Branson that reminded me of Colorado, but I thought about Colorado almost every day in Branson because of my knee. Um, when I was in Colorado in February, Pastor Ryan and I, uh, we've got a leader in our church who has a cabin in Colorado and they love to go snowmobiling. He said, hey, why don't you guys come and go snowmobiling with me one week? And we said, ah, that would be awesome. So we went in February, we drove up um, one day and we spent a couple days snowmobiling. And what you need to know about me is I've got this thing in me um, called the competitive disorder syndrome. Um, it's not a real thing, but it, it kind of looks like this. This week as I watch the Olympics, almost everything I'll, I see, I'll think, I could do that. Like that, you know, it's like when I was a little kid, like I'd watch the Olympics and I would see someone swim and like I'd make my dad go to the pool with me and time me because I'd be like, you know, I can't be that far off. Like I'd watch the gymnast and then I'd go out on the monkey bars and I'd be like, you know, I, th- I think I could maybe do that dismount if I could swing around three times. You know, I, I would take our couch and turn it into a pommel horse or, you know, try to like, I- I've got this thing that if I see someone do something, even as turning into an old man at 38, I think I, I could probably do that. So I've never really been competitive snowmobiling before. Um, but we're riding around on hills and I'm, I'm watching Ryan and I'm thinking I can do what he can do, right? So we're out on this mountain one day and he's seeing how high he can go. If you've ever been snowmobiling, you know, fresh snow, you go up a hill and you can kind of follow in someone's tracks to see how high they go and then they come down and he kind of went high and then I followed him and came down and he went higher and I followed. Every time I got a little more afraid and I got a little more tentative on the deal, but he kept going up and I thought, if he can do it, I can do it. And at some point I couldn't, I was wrong. And I go up the top of this hill, and instead of turning, the thing starts coming back on me. Well, I just think, you know, I'll step off and stop it, forgetting it weighs hundreds of pounds and forgetting that the snow is like six feet deep. So, you know, it starts rolling back, so I step off, and all of a sudden I sink in the snow to my hip, and the thing just rolls back on me, and my medial collateral ligament, my knee ligament just popped. It popped like you could hear it pop, you could feel it pop, and I mean, instantly burning pain. I thought, I'm going to pass out, I'm going to die in the mountains, Ryan's going to eat me. You know, you go to every, like, scary snow movie that you've ever seen. You know, they're going to cut me up and eat me in the mountains. I've seen this movie. Um, you know, it was, it was awful. But it hurt my knee for, like, the longest time. I, I just had a sore knee. Well, you know, I, I went wakeboarding one day in Branson at Table Rock, and because I'd seen some people wakeboard, you know, and I've got this disorder, I'm like, you know, I think I could jump over the middle. I mean, I've only gotten up like three times, but if you get fast enough and calculate the angle, I, I could fly. So I just tweaked my knee a little bit. So every day I was reminded of Colorado because of this little couple-inch ligament in my knee called a medial collateral ligament that I didn't even know about until I was a sophomore in high school when I tore it, and that I haven't even thought of the last 20 years until I tore it Again, how many of us have body parts that we don't even know the names of or think about until something goes wrong with them? You know, the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you have your Bible, I want want to 
I want you to turn there. First Corinthians chapter 12, or you can fire up the app. Our ushers are going to come down the aisle. They've got Bibles you can have. In First Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul tells us that everything inside our body is important. Even the things you don't know about and aren't aware of, every one of them is important. Um, but he only talks to us about this fact as a picture of how important people in the church are. So Paul says, let me teach you a story from the human body that helps you understand a spiritual fact about your life in the church. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to read verses 12 through 27. Make sure you pull out your sermon notes out of your bulletin so you can follow along this morning. Here's what the Apostle Paul says about our bodies and the spiritual truth that we can learn from them. 1 Corinthians 12, we'll start in verse 12, we'll end in verse 27. Paul says, just as a body, the one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so, we, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body's not made up of one part but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense... Of smell be, but in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you, circle the word you, you means you. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Do you know there's 206 bones in the human body? And that most people really only learn the names of the bones that they break. Um, because at that point in time, they get to learn a little bit about their physical anatomy. But other than that, we don't really think about them. Does that mean they're not important? What if only the bones in your body that you knew the names of were important to you today? Would you function very well as a person? 206 bones, all of them carrying a special function, all of them have to work together well for us to get out of bed and move without a whole lot of pain to where we're going. You say, well, how many people go to our church? You know, I don't even know the answer to that number. And probably no one in here knows the answer to that number. Could I say the answer to the question, how many people go to Journey? The correct answer is, who cares? I mean, I'm not really sure how many people go to our church. Most don't know, most don't care, until the one you rely on breaks. And then we're aware of that one. Like if the person who set up your chair today didn't come and we were sitting on the floor, we would be aware something was wrong today. If the person who took your children this morning so that you could be in here having a little worship time for yourself weren't there, you would be aware that something happened. If the person who showed up to unlock the building this morning wasn't here, you don't know their name, you've never really even thought about them. But if they weren't here today, if that system broke, we would be aware don't we all wish we had a thermostat volunteer who would come in and try, try to figure out how to make it not so cold in here? You know, we, we don't control that. But we realize, hey, I, you know, I'll sign up for that task. Really, this, the, the 
guys on site don't even control that. It's in a computer somewhere off site. But we don't know really what's missing until something breaks, and then we're very aware of it. I don't know how many people go to Journey, but I know when they're not here, and I do know this, according to Scripture, I know that every person who goes to our church is important. How many people go to Journey? I don't know, but I know this fact. All of them are important. Let me ask you a question. How many people at our church are important? How many people at our church are important? I told you one of my favorite seminary professors who used to break down the Hebrew and Greek for us used to say the greatest word in the English Bible is the word all. Because whether it was written in Hebrew, whether it was written in Greek, whether it was written in English, all means all, and that's all that all can mean. All means all, and that's all that all can mean. Which means all of you are important to God in his church and have a function for that. Let me give you a little 60-second theology just in case you didn't know that you were not only important but that you were purposed. Did you know you were created by God for God? God created you for a special purpose. Did you know that you were gifted by God for God? There's some things that you can do better than most people can do them and God is the one who gave you the ability to do that But God gave you that so that you could figure out a way to use that for him. I watched the Hall of Fame speeches last night, and I heard a couple of the different guys, Orlando Pace, who played at the college that I followed growing up, the Ohio State University, said, I was 10 years old when I realized I was just bigger by far than everyone else. And I realized maybe God made me that way to play football. When have you looked at yourself and said, I just think I do this better than everyone else? And maybe God did that for me, so that I could use that for him. You were created by God for God. You were gifted by God for God, and you are called by God for God. You are being called right now to a special purpose by God for God. Shh. If you could hear it right now, God is calling you. Every moment of your life, He's been whispering your name, saying, come on and join me. I've got a purpose for you in the larger purpose of my plan for the world. You were created by God for God, gifted by God for God. You are being called today by God for God. And here's what you need to understand as we look at what the Bible says about the body and how important all of us are. We learn some important things from the New Testament. Here's the first truth we learn. Saved people serve people. If you're in here and you're a Christian today, the Bible uses a word in the New Testament that refers to being saved from wrath, saved from sin, saved from an eternity away from God. So sometimes Christianity is referred to as being saved. If you're not a Christian in here today, you might not understand that terminology, but if you're a Christian, you're saved. And the Bible says saved people serve people. Where is that? Ephesians chapter 2. If you have your Bible, I actually want you to turn over to Ephesians because we're going to be there a little bit today in Ephesians 2 and in just a minute in Ephesians 4. It's just a few chapters over to the right through Corinthians and then Galatians and then Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about becoming a Christian and the purpose of our Christianity. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It's by grace. That word grace means gift. You might circle that if you want to learn just a little extra today. Circle the word grace and write gift. It's a gift that you've been saved through faith. 
This is not of yourself. It's the gift of God. And it's not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I want to read verse 10 again, and I need you to circle a word that maybe has been a misconception in your spiritual journey. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do, circle the word do. So many of us think our Christianity is composed of what we can learn. So many of us think our Christianity is, com- is composed of what we can argue or what we can think about. Paul said the purpose of Christianity is to do, not just to learn. We do as we learn and we learn as we do. But the purpose of Christianity is to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, save people, serve people. So the last two weeks I've been studying First and Second Corinthians and my mind has been blown because if I could show you a picture of First and Second Corinthians. I never really understood this till this week when I just studied them alone in the context of Scripture. The greatest picture of a study of First and Second Corinthians is the movie Little Shop of Horrors. You, you, maybe you've seen Little Shop of Horrors with Rick Moranis, this botanist who created this, this meat-eating plant that all the meat-eating plant said like the whole movie was, feed me, feed me, Seymour, feed me, Seymour. I feel like today the church is composed of people who get up on Sunday morning and think it's the church's job to feed me. And we have grown into this big scripture-eating, theology-learning plant that, that instead of doing anything for anyone else or having value for anyone else, we just devour pastors and churches and Bible studies and small groups. And it's about feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. When we open Corinthians, Paul said, all I hear about you is your arguments about the Bible lessons and the teachers who are giving them. Tell me we're not beyond that. Tell me we're not just still talking about teachers and lessons and we're not concerned at all with serving others and seeing others. I mean, I love that our church has so many teachers. I listened back to Pastor Brandon's message last week about getting out of the boat, and I wanted to get out of the boat. I mean, like onto a lake because I'm afraid of sharks. But I don't know that I got out of an ocean, but I want to get out of the boat. And not near a shoreline because I'm afraid of snakes. But like in the middle of a, of a really clear lake, I'd get out of the boat. Like, that, you know, that, that moved me. I was like, I would get out of the boat at the right lake at the right place. Um, I listened to Pastor Ryan preach about being the link between one generation spiritually and the next. And I thought, I want a chain link. I want to be the link. I, I want to stand between one generation of Christianity and the next one. And I want God to use me to hold the chain together from Jesus till Jesus comes back. I, I want to be that. And then I'm here today. And you know what? I think a lot of people at church the last few weeks, if they said, tell me what God spoke to your heart, they would talk about the teacher. Oh, Ryan spoke. Yeah, the new guy spoke. What would they talk about? We might even remember some lessons. What'd you do? Oh, nothing. Yeah, no, that's not, it's not really the point of church every Sunday to go learn something and change or do, but, but is it? Paul said, you're talking about Paul, you're talking about Apollos, you're talking about Peter. He said, let's get less focused on teachers and more focused on people. So he devotes an entire three chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians on how to serve people in the church. Paul said, here's what's important. Let's get past what we're learning and who's teaching. And let's get to living. And what Paul taught us is that every member of God's church is a minister in God's church. 
Let me say that again. Every member of God's church is a minister in God's church. I'm going to start a hashtag movement that says every member a minister. It won't make sense to anyone but me, but it will remind me this truth from 1 Corinthians. If I go to church, I am the church. If I go to church, I serve the church. If I'm a member of the church, I minister at the church. That's the way Christianity works. Every member is a minister, hashtag, pound sign, whatever that is. So how many of our members are supposed to be ministers? How many? And what does all mean? All means all. That's all that all can mean. Why? Because saved people serve people. And here's what you need to understand. Truth number two, your serving saves. Saved people serve people, but your serving allows people to be saved. Did you know that in February, an article was written that said that St. Louis was the murder capital of America? Feb, Feb 29th, that was written this year. St. Louis, murder capital of America. I realized this week, if, if there were a murderous thought capital of the world, I found it. Say, so what is a murderous thought? I mean, if there was a place where people think about committing murder, a place where people gather and they think about killing someone. I found that place. It's an amusement park. And it's usually parents with young children who are trying to figure out how they can dispose of their child at this amusement. So we were at Silver Dollar City, and we wandered over into the kids' area to play some games. And if you've never just sat at an amusement park and watched frustrated parents, it is a great reality TV show to just watch them drag people around. We walked by one mom, I was with my son Christian, who, who was saying to her daughter, as we walk by, she said, I'm going to slap your face off. Like, <laughs> off. <laughs> off. And Christian started laughing out loud, and I said, stop. She's bigger than me. If she'll slap her kid's face off, what's she going to do to us? I mean... People get angry at amusement parks, right? I saw some dad dragging his kid into the bathroom by like the back of his tank top and like nearly throwing him into a urinal. I don't know because he got out of line for chips. I mean, I don't, I don't know, but some angry people at some amusement parks. Like if there's a place where people think about taking the life of their child, it's probably at an amusement park. And by four or five o'clock when it's 100 degrees in Branson, you're wandering around, Everybody looks angry. Everybody's a little on edge, right? Except for all the, like, the little old people who volunteer to serve there. And like, they're so happy and they were so friendly. And I looked at them as they approached these parents who were going to slap their kid's face like, off. And I thought, these people are saving lives. Like These old people <laughs> with their little trink trinkets, they're, they're, saving, they're saving lives. And then I thought about, we went and saw the brilliant play at Sights and Sounds Theater on, on Moses. You are three hours away from seeing the Bible come to life. You need to go do that if you haven't yet. But when you leave the traffic, you think about, you think about, you know, just going off-road, demolition derby. But then there's these little old guys, and, you know, they're waving at you, and, you know, trying to get you to stay still. And it's like... Those people are saving lives. I think about, like, who's not mad at Walmart, right? I mean, you know, you walk in and out of Walmart, and they put these little greeters there. Like, those people are not greeters. They're lifesavers. By the time you leave and they smile at you, it just disarms people. I told Danielle, when I get old, we're going to move to Branson. We can have a little show. You can lay on a piano and sing, and I'll just be the little old guy that, like, smiles. 
And like as people come out, I'll be like, don't hit your kid. You know, it's okay. This is vacation. We're going to have a fun time. It'll be the, you know, Daniel and Christian show. We'll do it at the Shoji Theater or whatever that thing is called. I mean, like, there's some scary things there. And I realize these, these old people, are, they're, they're saving people just by being there to serve. Do you know that your serving, according to Scripture, helps people know Jesus? And it helps them grow spiritually. Like when you serve... It helps people know who Jesus is and it helps them grow spiritually. So where does the Bible say that? Ephesians chapter 4, it's the same page in my Bible. I don't even have to move it. In verse 11, it says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You say, well, yeah, but I'm not an apostle or a teacher. You know, I'm not a pastor. My serving isn't... No, no, no. Listen, your serving saves people. It's that important. You know, we do surveys of people when they come to our church, and and we we often ask them, um, how did you hear about church? The number one answer over the last five years for how people have heard about Journey Church and made a visit is the signs by the roads. You know, the guys who probably think they're having the least amount of impact because they don't even interact with a lot of people, setting up signs, that's not saving anyone. You want to make a bet? There are some people in heaven because you put up a sign one day when it was 10 below. There are some people in heaven because you set up a flag one day when it was raining. That's just the reality. Your serving saves people. We ask people, what's the first thing you noticed at our church? You know what they all mention? The parking people and the greeters. It's the first thing that I notice. What's the first thing you notice? The thing they recall when we say, hey, when you think about journey, what do you remember? They say the parking people and the greeters, the people that we interacted with. That's what we really remember most. And when we ask people, what was your overall impression? We always hear something like this, that people care. The person who checked in my child was so nice. The person who helped me find a seat was so nice. The guy waving at the front looked so friendly. Do you know that studies have been done that said basically people, when they visit a church, they decide whether or not they'll come back within the first seven minutes that they turn into the parking lot? That means before they hear the music, before they hear the preacher, before they've received a bulletin, they've decided whether or not they'll be open to coming back based on the way people treat them on the way in. Your serving saves people. Your serving saves people. There's a tired mom who's going to come to church today and get to relax and worship and hear the Bible because somebody is taking their little one for an hour. Your serving saves people. There's an elementary student who comes every week with their single mom or their single dad who doesn't know what a Christian mother or a Christian father looks like because they don't have that in the home. But their leader in the back is giving them a picture of what a Christian man looks like, even one though they don't live with one. Or, or our volunteers are allowing them to see what a Christian woman looks like, even though a Christian woman doesn't live in their home. Your serving saves people. They're a group of teenagers who were walking through the most difficult seven years of their life from seventh grade through their first year of college who come every week because they know there's someone who cares about them and loves them regardless of what they've done on a Friday or Saturday. Your serving saves people. We have a team that writes cards to our guests when they come. And for some people in our church who have visited, the only card or thing they get in the mail in the course of a month that makes them smile rather than cringe is the card that you wrote and stuffed in a mailbox on a Monday or a Tuesday. Your serving matters. And Jesus said in Matthew 10, 42, this, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water 
to one of these little ones who's my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose the reward. Jesus, I see what you're doing and it matters. You're serving, saves people, and guess what? You're going to get a reward. Saved people serve people. Serving people save people. But number three, Scripture says we don't graduate until we serve. Man, I've taught Ephesians 4 for years in laying out ministry and how it should be done. I've never taken the step past verse 13 like I have in my study for this message. And the Apostle Paul lays out a reason that the church serves and ministers to one another. But then he goes on to say, and basically until you do this, you can't grow up spiritually. He didn't say that. He really does, actually. Look at verses 14 through 16 of Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says, then, circle the word then. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Hang on, here's the question. Paul says, then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth. Wait, Paul, when do we grow up? When do we grow up? Paul says, after everyone starts serving together. That's how we grow up. He didn't say anything in here about learning anything. He said, when we all start serving together, then we grow up and we begin to get strong spiritually. You see, serving in the church allows you to grow into spiritual maturity. And according to Ephesians 4.14, you cannot get completely mature spiritually until you begin serving. You're always going to be stuck in kind of eighth grade spiritually until you begin to move towards the more mature things of Christianity. You say, well, I come to church to learn. You know, church is not just about learning. You know, the United States is one of the most obese countries on planet Earth. Did you know that? I'm sure you did if you watch any TV at all. 78 million adults, 11 million children under the age of 12 are clinically obese. One out of every three people in America, almost 100 million Americans. And what's the big problem? It's 100 million Americans who simply take in way more calories than they burn through activity. And I looked at that stat and I listened and I thought, man, how many obese Christians do we have who all they do every week is they take in spiritually, but they never burn off? They take in, they take in, they take in, they take in. They listen to sermons. They read books. They go to small groups. They lead small groups. They're in discipleship groups. They have some accountability partners. They're reading online blogs. They're getting so much spiritual intake of calories. But then they don't go serve for even 10 minutes to burn off any of what Jesus is pouring into them. If you are filled with theology that doesn't lead you to live out your faith, you are filled with the wrong theology. If you are filled with teaching that makes you feel like you're the smartest Christian alive, but you are not engaged in serving, you have missed the point. Because as we grow, we serve. It's just kind of how things work. And I realized this week, listening to Pastor Brandon's message from last week, I've realized my superpower. Do you know what your superpower is? I think I finally found mine this week. You know, I was listening to Pastor Brandon. He opened his message last week by, by basically saying I had kind of a nice job and Christian said, hey, have you ever thought about doing this? And I ended up in ministry. And then I had a nice job here in ministry. And Christian said, have you ever thought about doing this? And ended up in ministry. And as he was saying that, I thought back 
to a conversation I had with our kids director, Stephanie Ward. Her husband, Kyle, leads our youth ministry. And after I had dinner with them to invite Kyle onto our team, Stephanie said, we need to quit having dinner with you because every time we have dinner with you, our life radically changes. We have dinner with you and you lay something out and it just messes everything up. And I thought about Jason Cummings who helps in our production ministry and started our church as a kids pastor, how he was a youth leader in my ministry. And I said, man, you should be a youth pastor. And I quit his job and went to be a youth pastor in Florida. And then I tracked him down in Florida and I said, you should help me plan a church. And he quit his job in Florida and moved back here. And him saying, man, every time you talk to me about what you see, it kind of just messes up my life. And as Brandon said that, I thought, I I get it. I finally see my superpower. In 1999, the movie came out called The Sixth Sense with Bruce Willis and this little dude where like the famous line of the movie was, I see dead people. Like you remember that? Like he he saw dead people. As I was listening to Brandon talk, I thought, "I, I I see my superpower. I see alive people. I see spiritually alive people. I look at people and I don't see them where they are. I see who they could be in Jesus if they'll surrender their whole life. My gift, I think, is that I look at people and see where they could be, not where they are, because I'm able to see what the Spirit of God wants to create in you. I realize I don't go to ask people for something I need. I'm asking them for something I see that God has just not revealed to them yet. It's not that I need you to serve in this role. I see that God has created you for this role. What do you think? And then things come together. Church, I see you in the light of the kingdom of God. When I look at your marriage, I see that glimmer of hope in your marriage. And I think, you know what? If he can start living for God and she can start living for God with all of the stuff in their past, they can have one of the greatest marriage marriages in our church. Shoot, they could probably teach a marriage class. Shoot, they could probably hold a marriage conference. I see the best marriage you could have as you live for Jesus. When I look at your teenagers... I remember the moment they were at the altar at camp. I'm not concerned with the phone call about when they were drinking at Friday because I've seen them at their spiritual best and I believe in who they can be if you'll keep bringing them to the altar of Jesus. I just believe in God's best for them. When I hear about the tension you have in relationships with your parents, with with former friends, with your kids, with your grandkids, I, I think about, man, if God could step in here and heal, I just see the best coming out of that situation. When I talk to people who are filled with anxiety, like I used to live filled with anxiety, I think, man, if they would see the right counselor and learn to pray and learn to move forward, they would be teaching classes on how to overcome anxiety. When I watch how generous some of our people are, or I hear them struggle, I think, man, if they could just turn their finances totally over to God, they would have more impact than anyone in the kingdom. You see, I see you fully alive spiritually. It's why in 2017, the theme of our year is fully alive. This year, the theme of our year was deep and wide. Last year, it was all about Jesus. Every year, I feel like God speaks a word into my heart and says the entire year of ministry is going to be based on this concept. And the entire year of ministry in 2017 is going to be based on living fully alive. We're going to talk to you about Christian marriage. We're going to talk to you about emotional health. We're going to do a series called Family Strong on how to create the strongest family that you can possibly have. We're going to do a series called Courageous, and we're going to learn how to live courageously through a life of of Daniel and some people we study. I'm going to show you what I see in you because I don't see dead people. I see alive people. I see fully alive people. If you would step into who God has created you to be, I see the role you could play in God's kingdom if you believe like I believed that you were created by God for God, that you were gifted by God to use those gifts 
for God and that you have been called by God to live a life for God. I believe that's for all of you. And I believe the time is now. I believe it's time that our church steps into our purpose. You found it interesting in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus experienced a season of ministry where a bunch of new people were getting ready to come, which may or may not happen in our building. I don't know. We're going to invite a bunch of people. But it's interesting. Jesus didn't focus on the people who would come. His disciples actually said, Jesus, it looks like a lot of new people are going to come. Jesus didn't say pray for the new people who are coming. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, he said, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into the harvest. So Jesus said, people are always going to be coming. Let me tell you what limits it. How many people are willing to serve? Don't pray for the people. They're always going to come. Pray for people to serve them. Because then they can come and be engaged in a powerful way. And this morning, as we enter this month and we enter this season... And we look up around our community and we see people talking about visiting our building. I don't think about the people who are coming. I think about the people who are here. And I say, Lord, help our people to engage biblically. Help them to have a theology that understands they were created by you, for you, gifted by you, called by you, and let them serve. So here's how I'm going to end this message today.